Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, this month, uh, the month of love, uh, Trish and I celebrate our 22nd wedding anniversary. And uh, I think I have a picture of us here. It's a picture of a picture. Uh, this is us. And, oh, you can put it back up. I, I know what you're thinking. Uh, you're thinking, I look the exact same, right? <laughs> and uh, thank you for noticing. I, I take a lot of pride. I, I age like wine. And so, um, anyways, that was us. We got married and would it be 2020 or 2001 in Eau Claire, Wisconsin? And when we first got married, we didn't have a whole lot of money. I had just graduated from college, and so I was college broke. She was still in college, student teaching at the University of Wisconsin Eau Claire. And so we lived in the basement of a grandma's house, and we paid $250 a month to live there. $250 a month. That will solve any housing crisis, I think. But we lived there. I'm pretty sure it was illegal because they just had those small little windows up high, no egress windows or anything like that. And we had a, a little kitchen, a bedroom, and then like half an unfinished basement where I put up sheets and put some free furniture uh, to kind of create a living room for us. But we were happy. We loved Jesus. We love each other. And it was good to be together. But we didn't have a whole lot of money. And so the car situation was always a little bit tricky. Uh, her parents were very generous and let her use their old, old, old Dodge Omni, if you remember a Dodge Omni, and she would drive that to and from her student teaching. And I had a really old pickup truck. And I found a picture of, that's not actually it, but that's what it looked like. I could not have paid more than $1,000 for it. And I think it got 10 gallons to the mile or 10 gallons to the dollar, if I'm not mistaken. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. It was not good. But uh, I loved the truck. It had a huge bench seat so you know we could cuddle and things like that while we was driving. And uh, anyways, one day uh, my truck broke down and I was no longer able to get to work uh, I was doing substitute teaching uh, throughout the Eau Claire area uh, to earn enough money just to pay for rent and pay for our bills and things like that. Um, and my truck broke down, so I took it into the mechanic, and he said it was going to be about $700 to fix. Now, the problem with that was we had about $600 in our savings account. Like I said, we were living on love, right? That's how we were living. And so I didn't know what I would do because uh, I needed my truck to go to work, to earn money, to fix my truck, to go to work, to provide for my family. And I was kind of in a really bad spot. And so um, I, at that time, heard about a ministry of the church we were attending. And it was kind of a mechanics ministry in which uh, like one or once or twice a month, mechanics would get together and they would help fix cars for people who could not afford to get them fixed. And so I remember signing up for it and telling my friend Tim uh, that I was going to take my truck in to have the church fix it. And I still remember what my friend Tim said. My friend Tim said to me, Dan, Dan, that's for poor people. And I said to him, Tim, Tim, we're poor people. Like, at least right now, we're poor people. We can't afford to fix this. And this is 
One reason God gave the church was to care for one another. You see, God cares a lot about the poor. In fact, Jesus says, you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. The poor have a special place in the heart of God. Psalm 41 says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. Proverbs 19 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Jesus says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. James chapter 2 says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? God has a heart for the poor, a heart for those who cannot provide for themselves, a heart for those who are vulnerable, a heart for those who are physically needy. And one of the, way, one of the main ways that God provides for the poor is through his church. And to organize this ministry of mercy from the church to those in need, God has given us deacons. And so that's what we're going to look at today. If you would please open your Bibles to page uh, 992, if you're in the Red Bible, it is 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're working our way through 1 Timothy, which is God's blueprints for the local church. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 focuses on the qualifications of leaders in the church. So last week we looked at the qualifications of overseers, which are also called elders or pastors or shepherds in the scriptures. This week we look at the qualifications of deacons. And again, even if you are not a deacon, which most of you are not, or you do not aspire to be a deacon, these qualifications are important for you to know for several reasons. One is that there is going to be a day coming, hopefully soon, where you will vote on whether or not someone is qualified to be a deacon. But secondly, these are characteristics that we should all aspire to as we seek to aid and help the mercy ministry of the church, even if we don't wear the title of deacon. So let's look here together. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons, again, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, Again, we come thanking you that we don't have to create the structure of the church or the leadership of the church, but you, by your wisdom and your grace and mercy, have shown it to us and given it to us in your word, Lord. May we enjoy it, may we live it out with faithfulness, and may it all be for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So at Jacob's Well Church, we believe that there are two offices— there is the office of elder, and there is the office of deacon. 
And both of them are vital to the ministry of Christ's church here at Jacob's Well. Now, I know we come from a lot of different backgrounds. Some of the churches you come from did not have deacons or the deacons operated in a way that we would have our elders operate or, or just a whole lot of different ways that church was structured in the past. And so I want to start by kind of giving some definitions of, of what do elders do in the church and what do deacons do in the church. So in our book of church order, it lists out for us the role of elders. And it says more than this, but this is what it says. And some of this will be a review from last week. But it says this of the elder, that it belongs to those in the office of elder to watch diligently over the flock, committed to his charge, that no corruption of doctrine or of morals enter therein. They must exercise government and discipline and take oversight, not only of the spiritual interests of the particular church, meaning here at Jake as well, but also the church generally when called thereunto, so the universal church as well. It says they should visit the people at their homes. That's what we're hoping to do this year as elders is to visit with the members of the church. It says especially the sick. They should instruct the ignorant, comfort the mourner, nourish and guard the children of the church. Two more. It says, they should set a worthy example to the flock entrusted to their care by their zeal to evangelize the unconverted, make disciples, and demonstrate hospitality. And finally, it says, they should pray with and for the people, being careful and diligent in seeking the fruit of the preached word among the flock. And so this is the role of the elders, to be spiritual shepherds amongst the people of God with the word of God and in prayer. Now, our book of church order also gives a description of the deacon. It's much shorter. It's just two slides, I think. But it says this. The office of deacon is one of sympathy and service. Sympathy and service. That's a good summary right there. After the example of the Lord Jesus. It says, it is the duty of the deacons to minister to those who are in need, to the sick, to the friendless, and to any who may be in distress. It is their duty also to develop the grace of liberality in the members of the church. That's all of us to help encourage us to be generous and to be merciful and to be liberal with the things that God has given to us. And so these are the more elaborate definitions of an elder and a deacon. But let me give you a more simple, more memorizable definition of elder and deacon. An elder provides spiritual care to Christ's church, both in word and in prayer, the word of God and prayer. And deacons provide physical care to the church through deed and material. And as we'll see today, there is overlap with this, but this is generally what they are called to do in Christ's church. Today, we're going to focus on the office of deacon. And I want to actually use the same outline we used last week for elder, but do it this week for deacon. So we're going to ask three questions about this office of deacon. First is, what are the biblical grounds for deacons? Second, what are the biblical responsibilities of deacons? And third, what are the biblical qualifications of deacons? So what are the grounds, the responsibilities, and the qualifications? First, what are the biblical grounds for deacons? This point will be very short. The title deacon comes from the Greek word Diakonos, you can hear it, diakonos. And diakonos means someone who is a servant, a tendant, a, a minister. It is a servant of a king. A deacon is one who, by virtue of the office assigned to him by the church, cares for the poor and has charge and distribution of the money collected for that use towards the poor. But it also simply means a waiter. 
One who serves food and drinks. So think about the last time you went out. Think about the person who brought you your food. That would be a diakonos, a deacon, someone who serves food. Now you can see here there are a lot of different ways that this word diakonos is translated. And when you look throughout the scriptures, rarely does it actually apply to the office of deacon. It's translated in so many ways. But it does express the heart of deaconship, even when it doesn't translate for the office of deacon. For example, Jesus says, the greatest among you shall be your servant, which is diakonos. Ephesians 3, Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister, which is diakonos. And so you see it's translated in a lot of different ways, and it is communicating the heart and the work of a deacon. But there are specific spots where the office of deacon is mentioned. For example, in 1 Timothy 3, as we look through these qualifications, it lists it here. Also in Philippians 1, we read Paul and Timothy, the author of and the recipient of 1 Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, meaning to all the believers at Philippi, and then it addresses their leadership. With the overseers, which also means elders, and deacons. These are the two offices of leadership in the church. We also see the biblical grounds for deaconship in the institution of deacons in Acts chapter 6, which is what we'll turn to right now. So if you would, please open up, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. We're going to stay there for quite a while. It's page 914 if you're in the Red Bible, Acts chapter 6. And and keep yourself there because we're going to be there for a while. And and in Acts chapter 6, what we read about is not only the institution of deacons, but also the responsibilities of deacons. So Acts chapter 6, in the book of Acts, if you're unfamiliar with it, it records the rapid, explosive expansion of the church, that, that the gospel is being shared, people are coming to faith in Christ, and the church is growing rapidly. In Acts 2 and in Acts chapter 4, we read that believers are selling all of their possessions and laying it at the feet of the apostles to care for those in their midst, and that, quote, not a needy person was among them. Now, the most needy people of that time would have been widows and orphans because they did not have a father or husband to provide for their basic needs. And with little to no government assistance, the church had to step in and provide, especially for widows and orphans. And when we get to Acts chapter 6, we see there is a problem in their provision for the widows. Okay, so look at verse 1 with me. It says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number by like thousands, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews that were traditionally living outside of Palestine or what we might call Israel. And the Hellenist complaint was that their widows were being neglected. And so it seemed as if the enormity of the task of caring for all of the widows was so overwhelming that there was preferential treatment being given to the Palestinian or the, the Jews that lived in that area. So verse 2 continues, and it says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That's the word dakinu, which is what we get the word deacon from, to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, verse 3, pick up from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint or ordain to this duty. 
Again, deacon literally means servant or waiter or waitress. And so men full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom are appointed and ordained as deacons in the early church to take care of the needs of the widows, regardless of their ethnicity. Verse 5 continues, it says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, and proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, meaning it was an ordination service. Now, what is so interesting about the list of men that were assigned or were ordained to be elders, or I'm sorry, deacons, is that they were all Hellenists, meaning they were from outside of Israel. And so now the apostles, who were Palestinian Jews, were entrusting the finances of the church, as well as their own widows and orphans, to Hellenistic Jews. And so here in this passage, not only is the gospel addressing poverty, but also racism and favoritism by creating an office of deacon to ensure that everybody of every race within the church is well taken care of. The first responsibility of a deacon is to lead the charge in the church to provide for the physical needs of the needy in the church. Secondly, we see in this passage in Acts chapter 6 that the deacons protect the elders of the church. They protect the elders of the church. So if you see deacons walking around carrying swords, this is why they protect the, not in that way. Okay, verse 2, maybe not so funny. Here we go. And the 12 summoned the full number, verse 2 again of Acts 6, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve Tables. Now, at first, this might seem a little bit arrogant. The elders are saying, listen, we're too busy proclaiming the word to go and to serve the poor. It might seem like they don't care about the poor. But as you dive deeper into this passage, what you find out is the reason why they want to set up a separate office of deacons is because they care so much for the poor and because they care so much about the ministry of the word. And they know that they are finite men, that they are limited in their time and in their energy and in their power. And because they believe it's so important that the word of God would continue to go forward and that mercy would be extended to those who need mercy physically, they establish this office of deacon. We continue, verse 3. I know we just read this, but listen as we keep going. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, that is to serve the widows. But we will devote ourselves to, and listen closely to this, we, the elders, will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Now in this passage... Those that are devoted to the ministry of the word of God and prayer are the apostles. But as we walk through the book of Acts, we see they're sharing the gospel, they're establishing churches, and they're appointing elders in those churches to have the ministry of the word and of prayer. And so even today, the deacons protect the elders' primary work of word and prayer. You know, for many years at Jacob's Well, we did not have deacons. Uh, we just weren't ready for it. We didn't have uh, the men ready for that. And the number of calls that we now get as a mercy ministry, uh, as a church for mercy ministry, has gone through the roof. As Dan said, uh, or Scott said, we get about five calls a week. Some weeks, it's 10 calls a week. 
And the reason we get so many calls is because our church has gained a reputation amongst the homeless shelters, amongst uh, other places that are providing mercy ministry. We have gained the reputation that we will call people back. I know this sounds bad, but what we hear from a lot of people who call into our church is, I have called tons of churches and no one has called me back. And the reason why these churches don't call them back is because they don't have a well-established set of deacons within their church. The pastor and the elders who are rightly devoting themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer just simply do not have time to do everything. And so many of those who have serious needs in our community are never called back. You know, as a pastor of Jacob's Well, I have to tell you how thankful I am for our deacons. When I get an email, when I get a voicemail, when someone walks through the door of our church and says, hey, I'm a single mom with kids, it's cold out and I have nowhere to go. Instead of canceling all my appointments for the rest of the day, instead of setting aside my preparation for the proclamation of God's word, instead of abandoning my family, all I have to do is send them to the deacons. And the deacons will take better care of them than I would. The deacons protect the role of the elders to care for the spiritual needs of the church and the community through the ministry of the word and prayer by taking care of the physical needs of those around us. Now, what's cool in this passage in Acts is you actually see the fruit of this distinction of creating this office of deacon. Look at verse seven with me in Acts chapter six still. It says, and the word of God continued to increase. This wouldn't happen without the deacons protecting the elders and the apostles' job. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Again, none of this would happen if the deacons did not take the responsibility of caring for the needy in the congregation and in the community. The office of deacon enabled the church to grow then, and it enables us as a church to grow today. You may have noticed, but we continue to grow numerically as a church, and so much of this is the fruit of the deacons taking the responsibility to care for the poor and the needy in our church and in our community whom God has a heart for. And so what are the responsibilities of deacons? Well, deacons provide for the needs of the church. Deacons protect the elders of the church so that they can focus on the ministry of word and prayer, the spiritual care of our congregation. But finally, the deacons proclaim the savior of the church. You see, just because deacons are not tasked with the physical needs, or just because they're tasked with the physical needs of the church, it does not mean that they have nothing to say about people's greatest need. Look at verse seven with me again. It says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, who's a newly ordained deacon, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenes and of the Alexandrians and of those Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. In other words, Stephen This deacon was saying something that they wanted to dispute, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking or proclaiming or preaching. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak, yes, speak, blasphemous words against Moses and God. As we read on, what we learn is that Stephen is proclaiming the good news of the gospel from the Old Testament. 
that there is no longer a need for sacrifices in the temple because Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, is that we no longer need earthly priests because Christ is our final heavenly priest, and there is no longer a need for the temple because the temple was destroyed in Christ and raised on the third day, and now we, the people of God, are the temple of God, and the Jewish leaders were offended by the proclamation of Christ as Savior, and so they sought to put him to death, and ultimately they would. You know, I was trying to think of an illustration of, of the relationship between elders and deacons and, and how it's necessary that we have our certain roles in the church and how there's overlap and how we work towards this common goal. And I'm thinking, what's an illustration that could communicate this? And I thought of football. I know, surprise, surprise, I thought of football. But think about it this way. Think of the, the deacons as the blockers on the offensive line, okay? And, and they are taking care of those needs on the front line uh, to protect the quarterback and the running back. And the quarterback and the running back, their job is to take the football, which for this illustration, pretend it is the word of God, okay? They are to take the word of God and move it forward in, on the field to, to move it forward. Now, now the the, the linemen don't do what the running backs do much. They don't touch the ball much. The running backs don't do what the linemen do. They don't do blocking much, but they do do some blocking. But they have this common goal of moving the football down the field. In the same way, the elders and the deacons have very distinct roles and their function and what they're supposed to do. But the goal is the same, which is to move the kingdom of God forward, to move the word of God forward, that more may come to know Christ and share a part of our salvation. And so God has created elders and deacons with distinct roles, complementary roles, to help extend Christ's kingdom through the ministry of word and prayer and the ministry of mercy. So the deacons, those seven men, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, what was their role? They not only authenticated the gospel by providing for people's physical needs, they not only protected the apostles and elders to spend their time and energy teaching about the good news of the gospel, but they themselves helped people proclaim, by proclaiming the gospel as a solution to people's greatest needs. Finally, so what are the biblical grounds for the deacons? What are the biblical responsibilities of the deacons? Finally, what are the biblical qualifications for deacons. Go ahead and flip back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, looking at today's passage. It's page 992, if you forget, in the Red Bible. What are the qualifications for deacons? So I know there's a lot of content today. Great job hanging in there. First, there are character qualifications. Just prior to this, they listed out qualifications for elders. Now they list out qualifications for deacons. So verse 8 says this, deacons likewise, just like the elders had qualifications, so do the deacons. Deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So let's look at one at a time. First, they must be dignified. This is kind of an umbrella term that says they must be a respectable person, someone that others respect in the church and in the community. Also says they must not be double-tongued, meaning they don't say one thing and do another thing. They are dependable. And so if they tell a family, we are going to help you out, we're going to provide a hotel room for you, they show up and pay for the hotel room and provide the hotel room. If they say we're going to provide food for you, they go and they, they give them the food that they have promised to them. They are a man of their word. Third, it says that they are not addicted to much wine. A man who is impaired in his decision-making is not fit to care for the needy. Fourth, they are not greedy for dishonest gain. 
uh, the deacons handle money. And there are, I'll just say, a lot of, while there are checks and balances, there are a lot of opportunities to put money in your pocket, right? If you say, hey, I'm going to take $100, go to Walmart with this family to buy them, uh, you know, food that they need. Well, there could be no family. They could just be picking up the newest fishing rod that they want, right? And so they need to be someone who's not greedy, someone who is generous in their heart, who can encourage generosity amongst the congregation. And so those are some of the qualifications. There's also uh, the character qualifications continue down to verse 10. It says, and let them also be tested first. That is, let them be examined Probably, how do they conduct themselves? How do they live their life? How are they with other people? Do they show that they love mercy, that they love to extend mercy? Then it says, let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Literally, if they prove themselves unaccused or unreprovable. And so again, this does not mean that a deacon has to be a perfect man, but a man with a godly character, a godly way about him. One that no one would bring any accusations against for, for, for being corrupt or for being deceitful or for being vicious towards others. Now we move on to verse 11, and it gets a little bit more sophisticated. Verse 11 says, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The Greek word here for wise is gune, which could simply be translated women. And so when you look in the scriptures, about half the time gune is translated wise, about half the time it's translated women. Because of that, people interpret verse 11 differently. There's three major ways of interpreting verse 11. Uh, One way is how the ESV Bible has translated it here, which translates it as wise, believing that this verse is targeted towards wives of deacons. Some believe this is talking about women who help the deacons, deacon assistants, which by the way, deacons' wives often are deacons' assistants. Uh, But you can imagine how important women are to the diaconal ministry of the church, especially to those first deacons who were were supposed to go and distribute food to widows. The third view of this word gune is that it's talking about deaconesses, female deacons that are ordained. This is a possibility, but personally, I don't hold this view. And the main reason is because in Acts chapter 6, as we saw, when they were led by the Holy Spirit to ordain deacons to care for women, they ordained seven men full of the Holy Spirit. Whatever your view is on this, and you may not have a view, and that's okay, but but whatever the view is, women are a vital part of the mercy ministry of the church, either as a deacon's wife or a deacon's assistant or as a deacon themselves. And here it says that they have qualifications, that they must be dignified, the same word we looked at in verse 8, they must be respectable women, they must not be slanderers. You can imagine how detrimental this would be to the mercy ministry of the church if, if they took people in their most vulnerable moments and spoke poorly about them to the community at large. It also says they must be sober-minded. We studied this last week, which means they must be level-headed. They must not get too excited about things. They must not share all their hot takes on social media every day. It says they must be faithful in all things. Uh, If you've been around Jacobsville Church for a while, you know this. Our staff knows this. We define success not numerically, but in faithfulness to God. Whether it is hard or easy, whether it is popular or unpopular, we seek to be faithful to the Lord. And this is an attribute that Paul is encouraging 
in this passage. And so those are the character qualifications. Next, there is conscience qualifications. Look at verse 9 with me. He says, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Paul often uses this word mystery to talk about the gospel. And it's not a mystery in the sense of it is secret knowledge that only a select few people know, but rather it is an open secret and that the gospel has been revealed to all. And so when you look in the Old Testament, you see God promising to bring redemption and salvation. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when he says he will bring the, the, the descendant of the woman, the seed of the woman, come and crush the head of Satan. They know God is coming. They know God is going to redeem. They know God is going to save. But they don't know exactly what that's going to look like until that mystery is revealed in the person of Jesus. In the person of Jesus, they see that he has come to conquer over Satan by living the perfect life we should have lived, by dying the death we should have died for our sin, and then raising on the third day to give us newness of life and ascending into heaven, sending us the Holy Spirit to give us all the riches of heaven, even though we are spiritually poor. That was revealed. I think an example of this is if you watch the, um, what are those called, the, uh, the previews of a movie? You know, when our family's looking to watch a movie on Netflix or on other things, we'll, we'll, we'll go through and we'll look at the previews and we'll get certain snippets of the movie, right? Like a, it's like a minute or two minutes long. It shows us a little bit of the movie. Now we know the good guy's gonna win. Like we know it's gonna win, but we don't know how that's all gonna unfold. It's a bit of a mystery until we watch the movie and then the, the mystery is revealed in the same way throughout the Old Testament. It's a preview of God pointing forward to the great story of redemption in Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that deacons must hold to the open and glorious mystery of the gospel with a clear conscience. Now, why does Paul give this qualifications to deacons, but not to elders? And I think it's because in the realm of mercy ministry, it is so tempting to move away from the true gospel to move away from the true gospel to a more social gospel or economic gospel or political gospel, which are all insufficient gospels. You know, there are many well-intentioned churches and parachurch ministries that have wandered away from the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they have gotten so caught up in caring for the physical needs of people. You know, one of those illustrations, and I don't mean to pick on any particular organization, but would be the YMCA. I love the YMCA. My wife loves the YMCA. We love the YMCA. Um, but the irony is, is that it is uh, an acronym for a Young Men Christian Association, okay? And, and the irony of it is no longer is it just the young, no longer is it just men. I'm not even sure if it is an association. And so it is none of those things, which is probably a good thing. But the tragic thing is that it is no longer a Christian ministry. There are people in the YMCA that do Christian ministry, but its original establishment was share the good news of the gospel of Christ with men on the streets and to disciple them in the word of God. And it has lost its way because it has cared for the physical needs of people and lost track of the gospel of Christ. Many soup kitchens, many homeless shelters, many hospitals have started with, with a passion of caring for people's physical and spiritual needs, to share with them food and the gospel of Christ. But slowly, the physical needs push out 
the spiritual needs. And they become something other than a gospel preaching ministry. Deacons must be men convinced that people's greatest need is not physical, but spiritual. And the only remedy for their spiritual need is the mystery of God's salvation revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The final qualification is a competency qualification. This won't take much time. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. We talked about this last week. It's also a qualification for elder, but they must be a one-woman man. Show faithfulness to their wife if they're going to show faithfulness in the church. Furthermore, they must be able to take care of their primary ministry well in their home before they are entrusted with a secondary ministry in the church. And so if they cannot take care of their children or their bride, we cannot entrust them with God's children or Christ's bride, the church. And so these are the deacon's qualifications. There's character qualifications that they and their wives or women assistants are trustworthy and honorable. There are conscience qualifications that they hold to the mystery of the gospel, which is the Lord Jesus revealed for salvation. And they must have competency qualifications that they can first care well for those in their own household before they care for those in the household of God. Let me end by focusing us on verse 13 here. Verse 13, speaking to deacons, to encourage deacons in this hard labor says this. It says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, meaning they go to good standing within the church, within the community, but also within heaven, in which God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. It continues and says, and also they get great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. If you ask the deacons, as we did this morning, how do you see God at work in the diaconal ministry? They will say things like, do we have all day? Because they get to see how God provides time and time and time again, just at the right time, just with the right things, just in the right way to provide for the needs of the poor and does it through the deacons of the church. And because God provides time and time again through the deacons of the church, through the mercy ministry of the church, God is, God is proclaiming the goodness of his gospel to those who receive those gifts. So just one story. One story from the deacons, and I'll end with this, is several years ago, there was a family who contacted us, we'll call them the Smiths, and they didn't attend church anywhere, uh, but they were in great need. There was a fire uh, in their home that had displaced them, and they had no money for a hotel. So they contacted the church, and the deacons went to help them find a hotel. Well, as the deacons were helping them, they found out that their needs were much greater than simply needing a hotel for the night. And so led by the deacons, our church surrounded them with care. We provided for them advocacy to find a place to stay. We moved them. We provided meals for them for months and months and months. We gave them rides to and from a hospital in Madison. We provided counseling and visitation to them. We provided Bibles and prayer for them. Uh, on one particular visit uh, to this person in the hospital, after discussing how God had provided all these things for them, how God had given them power for healing over illness, how God had provided for their tangible physical needs for them and for their children. They asked to receive Christ as their Savior, 
And so our deacon sat there and prayed the sinner's prayer with them to receive Christ for their salvation. You see, deacons are not junior elders. They're not JV. Deacons are vital, instrumental leaders in the church to provide faithful mercy ministry because God loves the poor. He loves to provide for their physical needs, but more than anything, he loves to provide for their spiritual needs, to provide Christ the Savior, the mystery revealed. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful again that you care for the poor and that you use us to care for the poor. God, pray that you would help us realize the poverty of our own souls, that we are poor and wretched in our sin, and yet you, the great rich one, have come to lavish your love upon us in Christ. May we rest in you and trust in you and delight in you, and through receiving of your riches, pour out the riches you have given to us to others who are in need. God, we do pray for our deacons, that you continue to lead them, that you would add to their number because the need is so great, and that you will help them lead us to love the poor as you do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.